1: And I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Canadian Pacific's third quarter 2021 conference call. The slides accompanying today's call are available at www.cpr.ca. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, simply press star, then number one on your telephone keypad. And if you would like to withdraw your question, please press star, then number two. And I would like to introduce Megan Albiston, AVP Investor Relations and Pensions, to begin the conference. Thank you, Sylvie. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. Before we begin, I want to remind you that this presentation contains forward-looking information and that actual results may differ materially. The risks, uncertainties, and other factors that could influence actual results are described on slide 2 in the press release and in the MD&A filed with Canadian and U.S. regulators. This presentation also contains non-GAAP measures which are outlined on slide 3. Today, we're joined by Keith Creel, our President and Chief Executive Officer, Nadeem Villani, EVP and Chief Financial Officer, and John Brooks, EVP and Chief Marketing Officer. The formal remarks today will be followed by Q&A, and in the interest of time, we would appreciate if you could limit your questions to one. It's now my pleasure to introduce our President and CEO, Mr. Keith Creel. All
2: right, thank you, Megan, and uh, welcome back. So let me me start by thanking the 12,000-strong CP family that obviously continue to drive the results that we're presenting today. Um, As we're all aware, the industry has experienced some some pretty unique volume challenges in the quarter, and and as you've seen in our press release, we've updated our volume guidance to reflect those challenges. But in spite of that, uh, we've reaffirmed our guidance for double-digit EPS growth uh, in 2021. Uh, The team remains focused on the elements we can control, uh, delivering excellent service for our customers and managing our resources in lockstep with our business, which obviously creates a compelling value for our shareholders uh, the results themselves uh, the collective efforts third quarter revenues more than 1.9 billion an increase of four percent year over year an operating ratio of 59.4 driving earnings growth of seven percent uh, continued improvement in train weights and links as we continue to become more productive at canadian pacific all-time records and fuel efficiency in the quarter uh, happy to say that we've improved our fuel efficiency by more than just over the last decade, which makes CP's EST value proposition even more compelling for our customers and the time's never been more important to the customers or to the environment. So that's something we're certainly excited about. Uh, John's gonna speak to it. Another record quarter in domestic intermodal, building on four consecutive record years. Uh, We certainly had a tremendous amount of success converting share from truck. We're looking to replicate that same success on a much larger scale, obviously, with our combination with uh, the KCS. Uh, we've got capacity in our terminals, capacity in our network. We provide a truck-like, reliable service, and especially in today's market. That's extremely compelling and value-creating, both for our customers as well as for our shareholders. Uh, we're extremely excited what the future holds for Canadian Pacific, in particular in combination with the KCS from an operational standpoint, a financial standpoint and an environmental standpoint. Uh, so with that said, let, let me say a couple things about the KCS. Obviously, it's been a journey, an epic journey. Uh, it's been a great battle, I think one, one for the ages, but one we were extremely proud to participate in and extremely pleased with the outcome. Uh, so speaking to the path forward, as we're all aware, September 30th, the SDB reaffirmed our trust approval, uh, which certainly we were pleased by that decision. We plan on filing a merger application with the S T B before the end of this month. Uh, we continue to expect to close the transaction actually in the fourth quarter. That's still a very real potential outcome. We're making some progress with COPC, uh, which is encouraging. So assuming that continues to proceed uh, well as it is now, um, we've got our comments back from the SEC, SEC on our F-4. We intend to have our shareholder meeting December the 8th. Uh, We expect to have solid support from our shareholder base in in support of this historic combination. With those things said, we do see a path to get closed in the fourth quarter, and in a worst case, uh, perhaps that rolls over to the first quarter, but again, we're focused on the fourth. From there, the STB will begin their review process of the merger, which we expect uh, to take 10 to 12 months. Obviously, we make commitments. It's part of the application that we'll honor, but the facts of the combination are extremely unique. Uh, I know some have spoken to concessions, and I'll say this now and happy to take it in questions. Significant concessions are are required to offset losses of competition, issues of network overlap, issues of predatory pricing, or poor service, which this combination uniquely uh, does not represent any of those concerns. We've got zero overlap, zero shippers lose an option. We're going to create new competition, new service options for our shippers, uh, which are all very positive, compelling facts that support this combination. The combination is going to unlock capacity and create the first U.S.-Mexico-Canadian railroad at a time it's never been needed more. Uh, So there's Certainly challenges ahead as we look forward uh, to our base business. We've got a smaller Canadian grain crop. We've got some supply chain issues, challenges uh, that the balance of the industry are also experiencing. But the macro environment is extremely strong. The opportunity set for CPKC is growing, uh, which continues to drive and increase our excitement about what lays ahead for our our combined entity, for our employees, for our customers, and for our shareholders. Uh, so with that said, I'm going to turn it over to John to bring a bit of color on the markets. Nadim will elaborate a bit on the numbers, and, and then we'll step into some questions.
3: All right. Uh, thank you, Keith, and uh, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> so as Keith said, uh, the quarter certainly wasn't without its challenges. Um, I would maybe characterize it as just flat-out frustrating in a, in a few areas. But, but as Keith said, we remained focused on controlling what we can control, Um, You know, I believe many of these supply chain issues that that certainly we faced and frankly, the industry faced are temporary in nature. Um, Our pipeline of initiatives that I look at remains as strong as it's ever been. And and frankly, overall demand fundamentals as I go down through the commodities in many of our markets still remain favorable. Um, Now, looking specifically at Q3, revenues were up 4% in the quarter. RTMs were down 4%. Fuel and FX combined to be a 2% tailwind. Price and mix combined to be positive 6%. We'll talk about the pricing environment some uh, this morning, but it continues to be strong. Now, taking a closer look at our third quarter revenue performance, I'll speak to these results on a currency-adjusted basis. Grain volumes were down 27% on the quarter, or revenues were down 21%. The challenges in the Canadian grain crop have been well documented, with the crop size expected to be around 50 million metric tons, or about 40 percent lower than last year's record crop. On the U.S. side, the the crop is definitely looking less challenged. Although the harvest definitely is smaller, we expect high demand, and we're seeing high demand, given the Canadian grain shortfall and a fairly robust soybean and corn export markets. Despite the challenging Canadian grain crop, I'm excited we, we continue to build out our franchise with our customers, expanding to our 8,500-foot high-efficiency product. We had six elevator upgrades complete in Q3 alone, and many more to come in Q4 and into 2022. On the potash front, volumes were down 22% on the quarter. The decrease in volume was a reflection of ongoing port maintenance and upgrades at the Neptune and Portland terminals. Uh, We saw supply chain disruptions due to the wildfires and also with the early closure of Mosaic's Colanze mine. Despite that, we see demand fundamentals for potash continuing to be strong. We see upside as we move into Q4 and into 2022 and beyond. And further, we are excited about the prospects of renewing our CampaTex partnership for the years ahead. I can tell you, we expect to announce the extension of a long-term contract with with Campa in the very near future. And to close on the bulk business, coal revenues were up 22% while volumes were down 2% as the supply chain rebounded well in August and September following the fires. Moving on to the merchandise side of the business, the Energy Chemicals Plastics portfolio saw revenues increase 27% to a record Q3. Excluding crude, ECP volumes were up 10% as we continue to see recovery and strength and growth in our refined products and plastics. Drewbit started shipping in Q3 and ramped up quickly to more than 15 trains per month. We are excited about the stable, long-term viability of this business and the pipeline competitive nature of this new product. Forest products volumes were down 3% and revenues were up 10%. We saw volumes decline sequentially as lumber prices fell off their record levels in Q2. In MMC, revenues were up 35% and volumes increased 30%, largely driven by recovery in the demand for steel and frac sand. Steel capacity utilization and prices continue to drive growth in our steel and metals franchise. Automotive revenues were down 8% while volumes were up 3% on the quarter. We lapped our Globus contract in September and like all the other roads, continue to see the impacts from ongoing chip shortage. Q4 will be choppy on the automotive front as we see this chip shortage continuing and frankly, it's volatile from week to week. Looking into 2022 though, dealer inventories remain low Demand continues to be strong and we see good opportunity for the automotive business to bounce back in 2022. Finally, on the intermodal side of the business, quarterly volumes were up 4%, where revenue was up 16%, another Q3 record. We have now had four consecutive record quarters in domestic intermodal. With our reliable service product and capacity for growth, we continue to perform well in this space Anchored by our strong retail franchise. The two things, two things in particular that really excite me on the domestic intermodal front. On September 1st, we opened our Pacific Transload Express, our new Vancouver Transload facility, in partnership with Maersk. The direct port to rail transload facility is one of a kind in Vancouver and will take approximately 100,000 truck moves per year off Vancouver roads. The customer support to this facility has been extremely strong, and I can tell you we're already talking about expansion. Secondly, I'm excited about the sequential growth we've seen in our domestic intermodal with our new Atlantic Canada service. We have driven a 39% increase in volume through St. John domestic intermodal versus Q221. On the international front, we performed extremely well in the quarter. As we onboarded costco double ocl and the mares volumes continued to grow we continue to see strong demand and we are working closely with our customers to manage the ongoing supply chain congestion we expect challenges in the international intermodal space to persist into 2022. so let me close by saying while we continue to battle some of these temporary supply chain issues and challenges, and and certainly we, we monitor and work closely around the Canadian grain crop, the CP team is focused on the things we control and making our own luck in this marketplace. We remain committed to delivering quality service for our customers while at the same time improving our overall customer experience. As I look further out, the network combination between CP and KCS will create a new set of service and route options for customers while enhancing competition across North America. The positive feedback from customers, transloaders, shortline partners on bringing these two networks together has been overwhelming and the list of opportunities continue to grow. So with that, I'll pass it over to Nadine. Great. Thanks, John, and good morning. I am proud of
4: the results this team produced on the quarter, especially given some of the challenges, challenges John mentioned. We've faced some transitory headwinds on certain business segments, and while some of those will persist in the near term, we will manage them in the same way we have come to expect from this team. On the quarter, adjusted operating ratio was 59.4%, which is a 120 basis point increase from Q3 2020. Softer volume environment and higher pool prices put pressure on the operating ratio, partially offset by the strong pricing environment John spoke to. Uh, looking at the results, you'll note that we adjusted a total of $98 million in costs related to the KCS transaction, $15 million from purchase services and other, and $83 million below the line and other expense. This is largely pertaining to some pre-issuance interest rate hedges. I'll speak to the adjusted results on a currency-adjusted basis this morning. Taking a closer look at a few items on the expense side, comp and benefits expense was up 2% or $6 million versus last year. The primary driver of the increase was additional training and headcount along with higher accruals on long-term incentives. Fuel expense increased $65 million or 49% primarily as a result of higher fuel prices partially offset by a 2% improvement in fuel efficiency. Equipment rents down 6 million or 16% as a result of lower price paid for pooled equipment despite higher IMS volumes. Appreciation expense was 203 million, an increase of 6% as a result of a higher asset base. Purchase services was 288 million, adjusted for acquisition costs, an increase of 19 million or 7%. The main driver of the increase was increased casualty costs in the quarter and incremental spend from the British Columbia wildfires. Moving below the line, as expected, other components of net periodic benefit recovery was up $9 million, reflecting lower discount rates. Income tax, tax expense decreased $20 million, or 11%, primarily as a result of tax recoveries related to the Kansas City transaction and a lower effective tax rate. Rounding out the income statement, adjusted diluted EPS grew 7% to $0.88 in the quarter. Moving on to the free cash flow to to wrap things up. We generated strong cash from operations in the quarter with an 11% increase. Year to date, we have over $1.2 billion in free cash generated. We continue to invest in the railroad and are on track to meet our $1.55 billion guided capex spend for the year. We remain disciplined stewards of capital with our industry-leading adjusted ROIC of 15.9%. Our balance sheet and liquidity remain very well positioned with leverage of 2.4 times adjusted net debt to adjusted EBITDA, well within our targeted range. Our share buyback program remains paused while leverage will increase with the pending KCS transaction. We remain committed to our B plus credit rating and we'll d- reduce leverage back to our targeted range over approximately 24 months. So while Q3 had some challenges, the network is running well and we, we remain on track to deliver on our guidance of double-digit EPS growth. We have a strong team in place and a transformational opportunity in front of us. So with that, I'll turn things back over to Keith.
2: Okay, thanks, Nate and John. Um, I guess to, just to s- summarize, overall, certainly not a shortage of challenges, but no excuses. This team's controlling what we can control. We can't make it rain, but we certainly can stay in game shape, provide best-in-class service, control our cost, allow those customers where demand is there to actually grow in their marketplace and and realize a better outcome and prepare for this transformational transaction that's going to unlock untold, compelling long-term value for our customers, for our employees, and for our shareholders. Uh, with that said, uh, let's open it up to questions.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, simply press star, then number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star, then two. As previously highlighted, please limit your questions to one. There will be a brief pause while we compile the Q&A roster. And your first question will be from Tom Wadawitz at UBS. Please go ahead.
3: Yeah. Good morning, Um, Keith. I I wanted to ask you. You you made some comments on the deal and and, uh, on the time frame. I wonder how are things going with the discussions with shippers and other railroads? Has that been something you've spent some time on, or does that come later? And would you say that there, you know, is there anything of interest in those discussions? uh, You know, uh, in terms of uh, you know going well or resistance. Both from the uh, uh, conversations with other railroads and with shippers,
2: a right, great great question, Tom. I, I can tell you this uh, obviously you know we're not we're not a team that that waits for things to come to us. We go to the issues and we've approached that. We've worked very progressively so far with shipping organizations. obviously we had an opportunity to have some discussions initially uh, that we've rekindled uh, since we've you know, been, become re-engaged with with the KCS, and uh, they're progressing well. Obviously, they have concerns, but given our facts, um, are completely unlike anything they've experienced in the past, and our track record to actually integrate and run the railway well, very uh, well for us. Uh, we're going to address. We're going to be reasonable. Uh, we're having reasonable discussions, and I expect those to come to a to a good place. Uh, same thing with. You know, our partners in the rail industry, obviously, uh, we haven't spoken in depth with all railways, but we have started some very in-depth discussions with uh, with a couple of uh, very larger railways that, that the combined entity would have quite a touch point with when it comes to interchanging and being a part of their moves. And again, those are very progressive, encouraging discussions. And I think as long as we continue, and we will, to take a reasonable approach, and that's met with reasonable expectations from customers and reasonable expectations from other railways and or supply chain partners, we'll get to good outcomes because, again, these facts are so compelling uh, that, you know, it's unlike anything they've experienced in the past where those same concerns just simply do not exist. The facts matter. We're going to speak to the facts. We'll stay humble. We'll stay reasonable. And, again, we'll get to a good place and we're going to create something that's going to be great for this industry, great for the customers, great for competition. And in the end, the U.S. rail industry overall will benefit from this, not be threatened by this.
5: Thank okay, you. great. Thank you.
1: Next, Next question Tom. will be from Walter Spracklin at RBC Capital. Please go ahead
5: so,
3: so I, I know uh you know looking at the volume changes you you've had some pretty significant moves on 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 particular canadian grain um canadian grain being you know roughly 15% 16% of your revenue and and down 25% uh this
2: year looking out to next year and and some of the share gain opportunities that you've had do you, do you, and i guess it's a question for john do you think that those have been enough um success on share gain uh Economy reopening and so forth to, to offset the decline in grain, uh, such that you can uh, achieve volume growth for next year. Do, do, do you think that's in the in, in the realm of possibility there, uh, there, John? Yeah, let me. Uh, I'll I'll take the high level, and I'll let John get into the color. Uh, absolutely, Walter. We definitely see a path to positive R T M growth. We see a path to margin improvement. So, in spite of those headwinds, and when you think about that, you quantify the quantum challenge that grain represents in this book of business, to overcome that and still produce positive volume growth, positive RTM growth, and margin improvement, that tells you the compelling value of the work that John and his team have actually been able to convert in the marketplace with our service and our capacity. So I'll, I'll let John provide a bit of color to those strengths that, quite frankly, are being muted by this, uh, this challenging grain story, that once that dissipates and transitions out, it's extremely, extremely exciting.
3: Yeah, Walter, so as Keith said, we do see a path in 2022 to positive volumes despite the grain headwinds, and, and you know what? We're still sort of educating ourselves on, on what this all means. As, as much as we're frustrated, uh, we've had a good ride in Canadian grain over the years, and it's gonna open up new markets and new opportunities for our U.S. grain franchise. And, and frankly, that may provide more of an up, offset to some of the challenges in Canada that, than, than we fully realize at this point. You know, beyond that, um, there's been a lot of good work, not only in terms of market share gains, um, but just creating solutions for our customers, adding new customers that, that I do think will provide us that, that tailwind. You know, we've got Inner Pipeline, uh, starting up next year. We've got this Costco Double O C double OCL business that, that frankly is about 20%, I think, stronger volume than, than we anticipated um, that, that we'll get a full year on the mares transload. As I said, we're already trying to figure out how we can squeeze more out of that facility and, and there could be an expansion in the future. We've, there's a significant you know, opportunity uh, in, in the crush Canadian grain crush business as, as more and more of those oils want to move into the renewable fuels, um, you know, the St. John CMQ opportunity, um, you know, we've already we've already doubled that franchise business from when we acquired the CMQ, and and there's still a fair amount of meat on that bone, so it, DRU's ramping up, so, you know, I can go down the list, um, you know, d- despite the, the challenges and and then the Canadian grain headwinds, just about all the other commodity areas, uh, I see a fair amount of upside and opportunity. That was a great, uh, exciting opportunity. Looking forward for the updates, uh, thanks, thanks, everyone. Thank you, Walter.
1: Next question will be from Fadi Shamoon at BMO. Please go ahead.
5: Fadi, please unmute your line. Yes, good morning. Um apologies I was muted. So I wanted to ask on the
2: pricing side. So um you know, can you help us understand a little bit the uh pure price momentum that you've experienced maybe in the last uh, couple of quarters and um the the opportunity to uh to touch uh, you know, the business maybe in twenty twenty two from a pricing perspective?
3: You know, fatty. um you know really the team i guess number one uh, pricing is always an initiative at C- CP. uh our team is disciplined we sell to the value of our service and that's how we price um we've long talked about you know the pricing environment in good times being that four percent plus in in maybe more challenging times you know slightly inflation plus uh, on the lower end um you know I, we're seeing we're seeing pricing, uh has accelerated through the year um you know we've got about 25 percent of our book roughly uh, renewing here in in q4 and again I expect to be on the upper end of that range as i look to 2022 um you know I don't know about you but I don't see a lot changing um at least right now in in terms of the, the truck markets in terms of capacity and, and sort of, uh, I think, ongoing discipline growing with, with the other rail carriers in terms of how they're valuing their service. Um, so I'm, I'm looking to 2022 to be um, – to shape up maybe very similar to what we've seen in, in 21.
5: Thank Hello. you. Tadi, did that answer your question? Oh Yes, thank you.
1: Thank you. Next question will be from Chris Weatherby at City. Please go ahead.
4: Hey, thanks. Good morning, guys. Um, I was wondering, Keith, if you could talk a little bit about you know some of the stuff that we're seeing at a KSU um, in the last quarter or so, particularly as it pertains to some of the Mexican business that they're running. They had a teacher strike, which I think has been sort of on and off for the last year or so, and, and maybe some – some some slowdown in the refined products, which might be re- you know, related to some regulation dynamics going on there. Maybe not necessarily so deep into the specifics, but sort of bigger picture. How do you still sort of view the opportunity for the combined company in Mexico? Can you maybe sort of put some thoughts around what you see now relative to what you thought during the whole diligence process leading up to the initial bid? Has anything changed? Is it still as been an opportunity in your mind?
2: Yeah, I, you know, Chris, we can't deny there's some some. Some noise or transitory challenges they're dealing with. To your point on the refined fuels, uh, which we see is working itself out. You know the issue with the teacher strike. Obviously, there's there's some politics there that uh, that we can't control. Uh, ultimately, you know that port that's there, Lazaro's. Once they get that resolved, and I believe they will, um, that is a very compelling opportunity with with reliable service to, to displace cargo that has challenges getting into the interiors of the U.S. coming on a U.S. West Coast port. So certainly, you know, maybe not now, but that's a future opportunity for us that we certainly intend to uh, convert. But in the meantime, all the other positives in the discussions we're having, Chris, and if you think about, and we've said this, but I mean, it's undeniable. If it made sense six months ago with all the pain and suffering that offshoring has caused uh, North American Customers, uh, it's even more compelling today. So the discussions that we're having, you know, I, I, I'll tell you I had one last week in, in Toronto with a with a major Canadian retailer. Uh, the art of the possible, you know, to be able to take more control of their supply chains, to be able to source uh, and not be exposed to uh, some of these things we can't control that are happening in on the West Coast and there's so many different issues and moving parts in that. To be able to stabilize your supply chain, near-shore or near-source um, the components that allow you to compete in business and succeed in business. It, it's, it's, it's an undeniable, compelling discussion. Um, so those issues that they're dealing with the KCS, they do, they've done a phenomenal job and continue to do so navigating those challenges. Uh, it's noise in the opportunity chain, but it's not noise that concerns me at all, and it's certainly uh, muted by the other opportunities that continue to develop themselves and present themselves. So we were just as bullish, if not more, than we were when we stepped into this. And we're going, take, uh, we're going to take those lemons that the world and the life and the market's given us and make lemonade with it.
4: Got it. That's helpful, caller. Thank you. Thank you, Chris.
1: Next question will be from David Vernon at Bernstein. Please go ahead.
5: Hey, good morning,
3: guys. Thanks for taking the time. Um, Nadeem, I wanted to ask you about uh, the the sort of transition here from an accounting standpoint. Um, you know, what should we be thinking about in terms of the percentage of, of of KCS net income to be sort of rolling up into the other line while it's held in trust? And then, as you think about um, sort of doing the merger accounting, um, have you started to put any thought into sort of asset write-ups or, or or marking up the value of the asset in 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 a way similar to what um, Berkshire had done when they when they bought Burlington?
4: Yeah, so take your second question first. So, yeah, we're working through the the PPA process and um a lot a lot of work being done um internally right now. so um, that that's ongoing. Um certainly uh, given the the value that we paid for it, there'll there'll be lots of work as to what that asset write-up will be and you'll see that through our our appreciation and um we will update that in uh in Q1 of in January, um, as far as the percentage net income um, while in trust, um, we'll have to get back to you exactly what that looks like. I don't have that necessarily in front of me. So um, again, when we uh, when we consolidate them, uh, there will be an equity pickup. below um, the line for. Uh, Initially, and then a year from now, they'll be fully consolidated once we get full approval. Uh, so that's how the accounting will work. But uh, but as far as what that equity pickup will look like, um, I, I don't have that for you right now, David.
1: Okay. Thank you.
4: Thanks, Dave.
1: Next question will be from Ken Hexter at Bank of America. Please go ahead.
4: Good morning uh, and uh, congrats on, on going through the process. Um, you know, maybe some thoughts on, on your margin outlook. You know, you were very early to say confidence in, in sub 60 through the year uh, and achieve that given what John was just talking about in terms of pure pricing, maybe your initial thoughts on where you had in, into 22 uh, excluding case you're just kind of looking at your, your thoughts on, on the network. Thanks guys. Sure. So we'll, uh, you know, we're still confident we're going to have margin improvement uh, this year. Um, so I think it gives you a good sense of what's uh, what's left in Q4, um, you know. And, and keep in mind, of course, that we're all all the rails. We're all facing the, the impact of, of higher fuel prices. So, um, you know, certainly uh, it's not as big a margin improvement as we had anticipated at the beginning of the year, given uh, given some of that uh, the noise around fuel surcharge. But uh, but I think it's pretty strong performance to still get margin. As far as 2022, um, you know, as John mentioned, Keith mentioned, we see the the path towards positive RTMs, and assuming 2022 looks similar to to this year in terms of the macro, um, so fuel and FX, etc. Um, I think we still have a, a good line of sight for increased uh, improvement in in the operating ratio. So. Margin improvement in in 2022 is our our view at this at this point, and we feel very confident we'll be able to achieve that. Any scale or target levels on that? You know, is it another 100 basis points just given the pricing? Is there a, a natural flow through, or we'll have to wait three months
5: for that answer there. Okay, thank you. All right.
1: Your next question will be from Brandon Oglensky at Barclays. Please go ahead.
2: Hey, good morning, everyone, and thanks for taking my question. Uh, John, you know, we've heard and seen so much about congestion on uh, U.S. West Coast ports, especially. Can you talk about how maybe you guys are approaching the situation differently and how the situation is in Vancouver?
3: Yeah, uh, so, Brandon, maybe a couple thoughts on that is, um, and I'm just kind of going back to Keith Lemons to Lemonade. Um, you know, we a year ago we were we were a one port port railroad uh, essentially Vancouver. Uh, you know, we've added uh, with through the CMQ East Coast Atlantic Coast access. You know, with the acquisition we add we add the Gulf in the U.S. and and then two you know ports on each coast of of Mexico. And I think given what we are seeing, diversity and having that port diversity will matter. And I can tell you those discussions with our customers are are robust on on that front. They they like the ability now that Canadian Pacific will have, well, today, but also in the future to diversify their books. I can tell you, um, and I was talking to my international team this morning early, um, we've, we've got three extra loaders uh, coming in on Q4, so that's, that's the team working with our shippers to, to find ways to get them to move out of the, uh, the congestion in, in the LA Long Beach area and, and utilize the capacity we have at Canadian ports. Uh, I can tell you we've got um, two or three opportunities with smaller chartered vessels. Which we would look to to also bring into either our east or west coast ports um, to to try to not only alleviate the congestion but drive some revenue in that capacity we have in those those areas. Um, I think the the bottom line is going to be hard. At least it's hard to quickly decouple um, for these steamship lines. You know what they're facing. But we're optimistic that this will drive longer-term change. And with the ability of our new network to touch all these ports, we think presents a a tremendous opportunity for the future.
5: Thanks, John. Yep.
6: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently.
0: Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Sylvie, do you want to
5: progress to the next question? Yes, please.
1: please go ahead, Justin. You're next.
3: Thanks, and good morning. Um, as you've done more diligence on the synergy opportunity for KCS, I-, I was curious if you have any updated thoughts on the cadence of those synergies over the three-year period, and as we think about preparing for integration and in those synergies, are there any incremental operating costs that we should be mindful of as we think about next year? and how incremental margin should flow? So so look, we've we've done a lot of work and we're actively meeting with customers and and, and quantifying the timing of these opportunities as we speak. I can tell you we've got the team, CP team coming together next week to to go through exactly what you just described. Um the, the good news is I'd say a lot of the 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 initial revenue synergies um, I think are more, becoming more front end loaded. There's a lot of opportunity there, um, you know. As we as we work with customers to try to line up their their timing um, for these opportunities, you know, at the at the end of the day, it'll it'll probably spread pretty equally through the three years. If you think about that. that Top line billion dollars in revenue, and then we'll, you know, obviously work with with Nadim and in the operating team to make sure that we have the capital and the products in place to to be able to hit those synergies running. Yeah, let me.
2: Uh, I'll provide a little color on on the cost side and and on the capital side. I've been very involved in this, and I'll continue to be. Um, I can tell you now that KCS, the team, you know, John Orr and his operating team, they're doing a better job every day of running the railway. at as they get further into their integration of of a true PSR railway. Uh, So we would expect that their cost uh, will continue to improve, their service will continue to improve, uh, which increases capacity at the same time. And in lockstep, Mark and our team are working closely uh, to make sure in the joint agency as well as in our network uh, that from – you know, from a partner standpoint, from an interline standpoint, any work that we can do to help them become more fluid and vice versa, we're gonna take advantage of that. And obviously, uh, through our planning for our operating plan, which is part of the merger application, uh, we've uncovered several opportunities to be able to do that. So we'll do that now. Uh, We've already started to implement some of those things and it serves us and puts us in a good place. So as we integrate the two companies, once we get SDB approval, uh, the capital spending, obviously, we've got a plan over a three-year period that will be in lockstep with the business. It's very prescriptive. Uh, it's it's planned for. It's There's nothing that's surprising in it at all. But what it will allow in a very short period is a CP-like in a CPKC pro forma environment uh, operating experience uh, with similar margins, similar train lengths, uh, you know, once we get to the end of that three year period, and you know, a lot of capacity to grow with our customers in a very reliable, uh, compelling value proposition. So, so, we're excited about it. Um, we're not resting on our laurels. We're actively engaged in that process and will continue to be as we go through the STB uh, review process and then pro forma as we execute and, and convert and exceed those synergies.
1: Next question will be from Kornak Gupta at Scotia Bank. Please go ahead.
4: Thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone. Um, so, John, just wanted to kind of dig into uh, your comment um, you, you had about, uh, you know, how how you are kind of easing supply chain congestion at, at let's say, Vancouver, and how you know the Saint John's and CMQ they have increased the business. Like, can, can you speak to, you know, are you seeing, um, you know, any discussions or having any discussions or seeing any interest from shippers or steamship lines in, in, in incremental sort of west to east or west to south uh, shift in shipping lanes uh, due to supply chain constraints uh, perhaps,
3: or or maybe
4: other opportunities?
3: Yeah, can I, we are. Um, you know, I think initially, Many of the steamship lines were apprehensive to make uh, or attempt to make massive changes in terms of their flows, hoping that this would be, uh, you know, fairly short-term in nature. Now that this has continued on, and I think most expect will will bleed into 2022, I would say those discussions are accelerating. Um, you know, as I've said, we've we've worked with these steamship lines to maybe reconfigure some of these boats in terms of how they. They load, um, or to you know, in in some cases where typically a, a vessel would come in to Vancouver and then drop down to Seattle Tacoma and, and then maybe head back overseas, you know, look, what are the opportunities to to maybe eliminate that Seattle Tacoma stop, um, you know, because it might take 20 to 30 days out of out of the cycle of that of that vessel. and and make a quicker turn um so we're we're looking at all those those options and and as i said we're we're starting to see some i would say better momentum in terms of those opportunities we're going to see some of that in q4 and i think that accelerates as you move into 2022 as these issues persist
5: thank you
1: your next question will be from jason seidel at cohen please go ahead Jason, please unmute
3: your line. Sorry about that, guys. I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about your domestic and and the long-term opportunities of keeping some of this freight that you've taken off the highway because, you know, clearly right now we're probably you know, in one of the most congested truck markets that I've ever seen. What percentage of this business that you've taken, let's say, over the last year, year and a half, do you think you're going to be able to keep on the railroad? You know, Jason, here, here's the interesting thing about the Domestic intermodal Fund. I think we believe that the opportunity to convert this traffic, um, you know, maybe not dire- that is directly running on truck, but, but actually growing the rail wallet share with our base retail customers has, has existed. We've got the shortest routes. We've got the best service. We've, we control the capacity in our terminals. It allows for quick turn of trucks. And I, and I can tell you, we've, since we've implemented our demand management program, um, that we, you know, we spoke extensively about back at our, at our investor day. It's allowed our customers to really help manage their supply chains and when they, they, and, and frankly, get the opportunity to potentially pay a cheaper rate or a premium rate, depending on how they want to to the flow their traffic into their distribution centers. And, and that's allowed us to to really smooth out our train lanes. Um, but I think it's also created a product that makes this this business we've converted sticky long-term. So you think it's more of a supply chain shift from your customers? Yeah, yeah, and, and again, I, I, I as much as there is a, a nice pop we've seen relative to maybe some incremental loads given this environment. This isn't an overnight thing. This has been building the last two, three years, and I think we're 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 experiencing and enjoying sort of the the fruits of our labor. And 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 again, I, I do believe it it stays sticky to CP, and we continue to enjoy that freight. Yeah, let me, Jason. I'll add a little bit of color to
2: that. Just some recent discussions I've had with uh, some of our key. Retailers, especially in the Canadian space, you know they've enjoyed because of our service. It's part of their formula, and you know it's a partnership, and that's the way we've approached this. And you can say the words, "Help your customer grow, so you can grow with them." But when you're a key enabler in their meaningful growth, and they're taking market share from their competitors, then you become part of that recipe that gets baked in. So as long as you provide that reliable service, uh, that value proposition. Uh, Customers don't shy away from paying a fair rate increase. Uh, They don't treat you like a commodity. They treat you like a partner because, again, you're part of that formula. And especially, and this is unique to our network in Canada, given the long lengths of fall, given the way the distribution centers are set up, and all these key metropolises, uh, these key urban centers, we have land capacities that we've used as part of that formula, as well as terminal capacity, and you match that up with our superior service running reliably from, from node to node, from town to town, uh, from distribution to distribution center, again, you become baked in and part of the integral recipe for their success. So th- that's the magic to this thing. So again, uh, it's not transitory, it's fundamental, it's foundational, it's the way we have built the book of business and it's the way we'll continue to grow the book of business.
3: Uh, that, that's great color and I appreciate
2: the
5: time as always gentlemen.
1: Thank you. Next question will be from Scott Group at Wolf Research. Please go ahead, Scott.
2: Hey, thanks. Uh good morning. So uh Keith, uh maybe any conversations you've had with the STB uh regarding the, the expedited timeline for the merger, and then can you just remind us while while you own KCS and Trust, what are the kinds of things you're you're allowed to do with either customers or operations or or interchanges? just so you can sort of hit the ground running uh, post-merger. Yeah, so let me start with the second question first. Uh, what you can do when you're in trust is is run the companies independently. So KCS has to run KCS, CP will run CP. Uh, like we could before, uh, the, um, the combination or, or the marriage, we can discuss interline opportunities and we'll continue to do that. We have done that, obviously, You know, if you're one of those customers that participate in an interline move uh, and you're looking to diversify your book of business, you're looking ahead. You're looking at, you know, do I want a seat at the table? Um, You can have those kind of discussions as far as planning. But as far as exercising control, you can't. As far as doing anything unnatural, you can't, and we will not. Uh, The last thing we're going to do is put ourselves in a position where we're going to violate indoor Uh, draw the ire or irritate the SDB. The SDB is the regulator, they're going to regulate, uh, and we're not going to put ourselves in a position to give them any reason or justification to take exception uh, to what we're doing. So we're being very cognizant of that, Uh, on to the point about discussions with the SDB on timing. Uh, We've not had any updates. You know, We filed within our application, we filed what we would like, uh, what we've requested as far as the timeline. They have not commented yet. Uh, it could be, and we expect, that once we file that merger application uh, at the end of uh, this month, perhaps uh, we'll get comments back on the timing at that point. But at this point today, uh, we have asked, but they have not replied, um, and we expect to hear something hopefully soon after we file that merger application. Just so I understand, so if, if a customer is not using interline service today, they can start using, it still obviously has to be interline, but they can start using interline service next year. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's nothing that stops the customer from, from giving us more business. Um, it's just we can't act as if we're one company, obviously. KCS has to negotiate their, their piece of the business as they see best fit for their railway and see people do the same thing. Okay. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Scott.
1: Your next question is from Brian Offenbeck at J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead, Brian.
3: Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, John, I want to come back to you on the on the coal market, and maybe some of the things that could offset the Canadian grain uh, for next year. So this year has been really strong for coal, despite some of the supply chain challenges and the market share shift. Uh, so maybe you can talk about what's, what's driving that. and Just given where prices are and expected to be uh, here for the receivable future, uh, do you think you're going to see some mines come back to life? Is there volume upside as you look into the fourth quarter into 22 and, again, to possibly offset some of those uh, Canadian grain challenges uh, going back to that list you were you're running down earlier? Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, we've, you know, beyond tech, which, it, uh, as I said, rebounded quickly coming out of the fires, uh, they're going to turn in you know, a a pretty strong growth year over year, I think over 26 million metric tons. Uh, As you described the Met pricing environment continues to be strong. And I think tech has, and as we work closely with them on on plans for 2022, we expect a fair amount of growth opportunity right there. Um, You know, we initially had modeled, um, you know, more of the business, uh, running to Neptune. We see opportunity with, uh, you know, West Shore to, to play a role in this as you as you look at 2022. Um, you know, in addition to that, we've seen a, a good bump in our, our U.S. Uh, coal volumes. Um, now, whether or not that's sustainable, we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, we don't have any imminent mines that are that are opening up uh, maybe Similar to our, our, competitor. I know they talked about that as an opportunity to offset next year. Um, you know, I see more as it being this organic growth with tech in the U.S. side. You know, we have worked on a number of other facilities that, that could be the Riversdale mine, uh, and, and a few others that could be longer term opportunities. Those discussions are ongoing and, and we'll have to see how those, those play out. You know, the, the biggest thing that gives me comfort um, as I look at 2022, again, is all the self help things that we've described uh, as, as really presenting that, that opportunity to, to offset. You know, it, it, frankly, if you just give you an example, as I look at Q3, if you, if you just were to normalize grain and potash, um, you know, our, our PMs were up over 7%. Um, and and that's a lot of those other business units where we've created these opportunities with our customers. and And, and as I again, as I work with my team, that is our focus uh, running into 2022. Uh, how do we take all these other opportunities that that are in the pipeline, get them delivered and get them ramped up as fast as possible to, to offset that, that grain headwind? All
5: right, great. Thanks, John.
3: Right.
1: Your next question will be from Steve Hansen at Raymond James. Please go ahead.
3: Yeah, good morning, guys. Thanks for the time, uh, John. I'm just going to dovetail on your last comment there on the potash front. You know, we're we're currently pushing decade ahead pricing here. I think we've got a seven handle now in the Western Hemisphere, even 800 in Brazil. Yet, yet to be your prepared marks. There's been a number of issues both on the production front and on the terminal side that have held back volumes this year. So. Can you just perhaps give us a little bit of color on how you see the potash environment shaking up next year for you guys and whether any of those impediments that have been holding us back will allow volumes to flow more aggressively? Yeah, I, I think, Steve, that this is a good news story. I was actually meeting with the Camp Tech team here just in the last few days and and talking about their projections, and I'm and I, not going to speak for them, but they, they have a pretty strong growth trajectory. Um, you know, part of the challenges we saw were, frankly, their, their upgrades at Portland. We see as a diversification play to, to Neptune, um, you know, now the ability to essentially land three trains into Portland is going to make a big, big difference for Campitex. Um, <clears throat> so you know, whether it's, it's Campitex and, and their growth expectations, um, I think world fundamentals around grain and feed and fuel. And, and the need for those nutrients all remain, you know, very positive. Uh, K plus S, I can tell you, um, similarly has, has strong growth projections, uh, you know, not only in terms of their ability to up their, their export capabilities, but, but also their domestic opportunities. So, so I, I do see potash, uh, Steve, as, as a good growth story for us in 2022, and, and also into 2023 and beyond. Appreciate
5: the colour. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Next question is from Benoit Poirier at Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
5: Yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, could, could you talk about the uh, the opportunities to either leverage or accelerate the excess land deployment in light of the overall supply chain issues? Are land, land
3: opportunities, Manuel? That...
5: Yeah, exactly. The uh, exa- excess acres
2: you have across your network, whether there's an opportunity to accelerate this uh, uh, to leverage this the deployment in light of the overall supply chain issues we, we see these days?
3: Well, I think there, there definitely is. I think Keith spoke to it earlier. As, as we look at the development of an, a new international product that includes uh, in the future with the KCS, the, the Gulf, and, and you know, two ports in Mexico, as we see the introduction of, of a domestic product that runs north-south through, through the U.S. as we see, um, you know, the newfound sort of opportunity to extend haul with the automakers, I, I think all those bode well uh, in terms of our land capacity, not only to create solutions, um, you know, new automotive compounds, uh, but, but also it gives us the landing spot. And, And and that's something that I think is different than a lot of the other carriers in the industry. We not only have the -the over-the-road capacity to to attack this volume, but we have the landing spot at our inland terminals due to this land capacity to improve our footprint. So, uh, Benoit, I think it's a a differentiator, as you think about our story the last few years and our story looking forward. Yeah, I think the other
2: very... Hey, Benoit, the other very exciting point that can't be lost with, with the credibility we've created with our ability to actually execute this land strategy, matching it up to create additional you know, value value combination and capacity for our customers, the success we've had, scale that up when you go to the KCS, when we combine these two railroads, they have very strategic land assets as well that are contiguous to their property uh, and don't expect that we're not thinking and planning Uh, to take what we've done at CP at a much larger scale as part of that combined supply chain uh, integration success story that's going to be created with CPKC. That's great, caller. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Benoit.
1: Thank you. We are now out of time. I will turn the call back over to Mr. Keith Creel. Please go ahead, sir.
2: All right, well, thank you again for your time this morning. I can tell you this team, we remain focused. We're, we're going to get through this fourth quarter. We'll close the year strong. Uh, we're going to have margin improvement. Uh, we're going to have some, some RTM growth, and we're going to set ourselves up well for 2022 to replicate the same and at the same time prepared to hit the ground running as we integrate these two railroads uh, with a successful review of the STB when we come out as a pro forma company. Um, this team remains humble, hungry, disciplined and driven, focused on creating compelling long-term value in a way that was never possible without what this combination allows for these two companies as we go forward into the future in a unique way, unique to this industry uh, that uniquely supports North American commerce and the U.S. rail network and competition. Uh, so with that said, we look forward to, to speaking to everyone in future events and reporting our results uh, next quarter. Take care.
1: Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference. You may now disconnect your line.
6: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's Investor Relations section on their website. See you next time.